Amen. Amen. All right, church. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, please grab that and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapters 3 and 4 this morning. Um, as Pastor DJ just said, my name is Corey. I'm one of your pastors on staff here, and I am thrilled to point your eyes to Jesus this morning and to God's glory. And so we're going to do that here in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, talking about godly living during godless times, which I will say is a very hard thing to do. Um, and even as I was preparing uh, to talk about this, um, it made me think about other difficult things to do um, in light of culture. And so one of those, especially for me, is, is dieting when no one else around you is trying to diet. Now, I'm feeling this in a real way right now because I just came back from two weeks in the Carolinas, bro, and the food is amazing, and I went ham. Man, I mean, I ate everything in sight, and so I feel this in a real way because it's like when you're trying to diet, everything is trying to grab you and make you fall to temptation. For example, over by the Goldfish Swim School in Center Grove, there's a crumble cookies moving in. If you haven't been there, it's a dangerous place to go, but I would encourage you to go there. Also, you know, like, also whenever you try to diet, it's like your wife decides to make all of the most delicious meals. Like, what is she doing to me, man? I mean, I'm just over here trying to control myself. And I even tell my family often that it's just hard for us in our household to diet from October to April. Because in October, you have Pastor's Appreciation Month, and so many of you bless our household, with, our household with all of the Italian dishes. And I'll say, please keep blessing us during that month. It's amazing. Um, and then just you have the holidays, and then my wife is someone who loves to celebrate every little holiday. So MOK Day, Valentine's Day, St. Patty's. It's just impossible to diet from October to April. I'm telling you. And so, so it's, it's difficult because um, the environment in which you're in, what you're trying to live right, it's pulling at you to not live right. Similar to the culture that we live in, in a godless culture, where we are trying to live godly lives, it's difficult. Now, over the centuries, the definition of hard has changed, and depending on your geographical locations, the definition of hard can change, but regardless of the fact, we all have to press forward in living godly lives during godless times. So we're going to see Paul in 2 Timothy in a hard circumstance encouraging Timothy to remain godly no matter what. Now, uh, in the book of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. And so he's sitting on his deathbed, so we better listen to him because he has some pretty important things to say. Paul's in prison. Um, so, and don't, and don't, think, don't think about his prison conditions being similar to what they are here in America. Uh, when it was cold, it was cold. When it was hot, it was hot. Uh, he probably had rodents crawling on him while he slept. Food consisted of probably no more than water, vegetables, and toenails in it, probably. When his inmates went to the bathroom, he heard and smelled all of that. And yet, his focus wasn't on getting out of prison. His focus was on encouraging the body of Christ to live godly lives no matter what. And so today, we're, we are going to hear from Paul. And we are going to try to apply this to ourselves to live godly lives in these godless times. And so if you're taking notes, what I would love for you uh, to write down here this morning uh, is godly living during godless times means. And we're going to look at three actions that we are to live out in light of these times. Because listen, it's not going to be easy. Um, it's going to be hard. But the reality is, is that we have a Savior in Jesus who will, not who may, but who will see us through. 
I feel the need to pray for us this morning to ask for the Lord's help. So let's pray and let's invite him into this time in his word. Father, so thankful for you. So thankful that you brought this message to our church. God, we're so thankful that you um, are just equipping us this morning on how to just remain godly. While we live in a culture that just tries to pull us away every single day. And so, Lord, may we just remain steadfast to what you call us to. So speak to us this morning. May we just leave rejoicing in you, seeing you only, and may you be glorified. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the main focus of this section is going to be in verses like 10 through 13, but I feel the need for us to start at verse 1 as that will bring us a little bit of context. So chapter 3, verse 1, let's read it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now the meat of our text, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconum, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in verses 1 through 9, we see a glimpse um, of what Paul is talking about to be the last days. And he tells Timothy, hey, look at how I handled those times. Um, I did not cower away from it. Um, I, I went after it and I embraced it and I endured those tough times. In this first section of, of this sermon today is going to feel very similar uh, to last week. Um, as Pastor Brock talked about persecution and we see persecution in the first couple of verses in verses 10 and 11. He said, you, however, have followed my persecutions and my sufferings and how I handled those. Therefore, follow my example. Now, if you want to read about Paul's sufferings, you can find them here on the screen. Essentially, Acts 13 and 14. Uh, so if you want to read those for yourselves, feel free to do that. But I feel the need this morning for us as a body to check out one of those moments of persecution uh, in Lystra. It'll be here on the screen. Let's read it together. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. And it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconum. So the two places that he was persecuted at prior. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, thug life, bro. Uh, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconum and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. A few things to note here. First of all, Paul in Lystra was stoned. And now don't think about stoning as uh, where you get to evade all the rocks and they're taking little pebbles and yeah, take that. Yeah. Like, no, nah, it's not like that. Like, I mean, they circle around you and they take massive stones and they pummel you with rocks until you die. What a painful and brutal death. And then yet Paul gets up and he departs with his disciples and he goes right back to the places where he was persecuted at. For the purpose of what verse 22 said, to encourage the other believers. Like Paul, we must endure tribulations, persecutions during these godless times. So are your kids being made fun of at school because of their faith? Encourage and equip them to be disciple makers, to endure that persecution, to stand strong for what they know is true. Are you being threatened at work? to lose your job. Be wise, don't go in there acting foolish saying, all of you are stupid and sinners and repent. That's not, that, that's not persecution, that's just you being dumb, okay? Like, be wise, but be obedient to what the Lord calls you to. Stand firm for his word and make disciples despite the persecution. So no matter the tribulation, we are called to endure like Paul in verse 12 almost guarantees persecution for us. Let's read it again. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a guarantee. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And listen, you, my friends, are invited into this. I think about when I first became a Christian when I was around 11, 12 years of age. I was in middle school, um, and I just felt the need to just go and share the gospel with a couple of my friends in school. And there, there was this girl, her name was LaQuisha. Uh, she absolutely hated it, and she hated me uh, because I would go and share the gospel with these friends. And listen, uh, for me at that time, that was hard. It was difficult. And the reason why I share that is because as small as that may seem in the grand scheme of things, that will turn a lot of us in this room away. But yet we are called to endure and to move forward in light of persecution because in Christ Jesus, we can endure because what he has to offer is so much better than the pain that we will face in suffering. Why is that? Because of the gospel a beautiful thing called the gospel in which Jesus uh, put on skin, came and lived a perfect life on this earth, um, and he died for us. He was beaten senseless and bled for our sins, for the uh, inappropriate stuff that we may watch on the computer often, uh, for the way that we um, abuse people, the way that we talk bad to people. He died for that. Because he had to be the sacrifice that was slain. 
He had to be the atonement for our sins. He was put in the tomb, buried. Three days later, he got up, he left, and Jesus is alive, giving us the ability to conquer sin and death. And the thing that I love about this is that we can come to him as we are in all types of addictions, in all types of sexual perversions, uh, marriage going wayward, kids going astray. We can come to him, and Jesus heals us. He takes care of us, and he promises us eternal life with him. And because of that, we can push through. We can endure persecution because persecution is guaranteed for those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus. So what does a godly life entail? On the screen, simply, pursued obedience to what God calls us to. A godly life is pursued obedience to what God calls us to, and it will lead to persecution and to encourage us in this. Um, do not envy the position of the people who may be persecuting you or those who aren't being persecuted, because verse 13 tells us that they will go from bad to worse and that they are the ones deceiving, but yet they are also being deceived, thinking that they have the best life. But our best life comes in eternity when we get to reign with a supreme Jesus. So we can rest in what is to come in eternity. And this ensures us that we are doing it right. But our first thing that I would love for you uh, to write down is godly living during godless times means enduring persecution. Godly living during godless times means enduring persecution and see this as a good thing. Why? Because first of all, we're building up for ourselves treasures in heaven. As Pastor Brock talked about last week um, in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then also where persecution is absent, so is witness, but where persecution is present, the gospel spreads. It makes me think about um, the underground church in China. I, I had the privilege about three, four weeks ago to sit down with a brother in Christ from the persecuted church in China. And we just chatted for about one, two hours and, and just sharing with me about the struggles of, of being in that church and how so many Christians are suffering, yet the body of Christ over there is exploding. He said that the communist government has made it to such a way that if they find out that you are doing church outside of the communist rule and reign, that you go to prison. And when you get out of prison, um, they make it hard for you to live. So your only option is to really die. And yet to hear that believers over there are pressing through, are loving Jesus more and more, and the church is growing. I even heard about other areas um, in China where believers get up uh, at 4.30 a.m. to go uh, to underground church sites and caves and homes, uh, and they just do ministry together. They do life together. They worship and they pray for two hours together. And how when they do their outreach opportunities, thousands of believers are coming to put faith in Jesus. These Christians are enduring persecution. Those churches are growing because these believers are doing it well. And this is normal life for them, but God is working. And godly living will bring some sort of persecution, but like our brothers and sisters in China, we must stand firm and we can stand firm. So where does the source of their strength come from? And how can people get up every day and endure these things that Paul is talking about? We see it as we continue reading verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. So we see um, Paul here referencing a couple of people in Timothy's life. He is referencing um, his mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. Actually, the opposite, his mom, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And just a quick charge to our moms and our grandmothers in the room. Your job is so important because like Eunice and Lois to Timothy, you have a responsibility in your own households to make disciples of your kids. And I personally, man, like I, I thank God for the Rhonda West of the world and the Therese Andersons of the world who love their families and disciple their kids up so well. But then also they invite other young ladies and other kids into their lives and they pour their lives out into them. And may we be a church, men and women, uh, who are doing this well. Because there's been so many of us who have known Jesus for a very long time, but yet we hoard all of that. And how beautiful would it be to see so many connective dots of people discipling this person and this person discipling this person. Teens, young adults, kids in the room, it is your parents' honor to pour into you. It would be wise for you to listen to what they have to say. And if your parents aren't pouring into you, um, I now volunteer them to pour into you. And if they have a problem with that, they can shoot me an email. And I'll point them to scripture because it's, like, like, it's a command, bro. And so I invite them into that for you. Because Paul even talks about how Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings that led him to become wise in salvation through faith in Christ. We see that in verse 15. And what he's talking about is the Old Testament scriptures. And what we got to understand is that all scripture points our eyes to Jesus and is wise enough for us to find salvation in Jesus. In verses 16 through 17, they reiterate that. Let's read it. Verse 16, I love this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God. And this is what Timothy, he relied on. But we got to understand that, hey, listen, all scripture is from the very, bad breath, ooh, breath of God. His breath is good, mine doesn't right now. But all scripture is from the breath of God. So the scripture that we can at times find irrelevant in today's society is from the very breath of God. The scripture that we can get tired of because it's not doing enough for me. Am I read through the Bible in a year plan? No, no, no. That scripture is breathed out by God. The scripture that tells you to stop abiding in your sin and to pursue holiness, that comes from God. The scripture that tells you to, to stop being selfish and stop being lazy and to work on your marriage from the breath of God. The scripture that tells you to pour into your kids, that's not for me, bro. That's from the breath of God. All scripture. It's breathed out by God. And I want to go a little bit deeper into this as well. But scripture is inerrant, which means that scripture is without error. And I feel like that our society, our culture, they try to compete with the inerrancy of scripture. And so I just want to quickly talk about a few ways in which our society tries to compete with the inerrancy of scripture. The first way 
is what God has to say about gender and sexuality. Now, I want especially for my teenagers and my young adults in the room, hone in with me. Because I know every single day you are hearing the complete opposite. But what God says about gender and sexuality, God has made it very clear that there are two genders and that marriage is between man and woman for the purpose of what? To exemplify the relationship between Christ and the church. And anything outside of that is a misrepresentation of what God has intended. Now, for the homosexual in the room, because I know that there's some in here, or for the person struggling with your sexual identity or your gender, we at Redeemer, we love you. And we want to be able to have conversation with you because we love you. I want you to hear that. We love you. Whether this conversation um, is, is because you are struggling, whether this is a struggle that you are battling with but don't want to submit to, or if this is a lifestyle that you have submitted to, we love you and want to have conversation with you. Whether the conversation serves to help you get a better understanding of what Scripture says or for you to combat the sin issue, we are here for you. So what God says about gender and sexuality, another way where culture tries and competes with the inerrancy of scripture is through um, the Big Bang, how they say that there is no creation. I love what a pastor in San Diego, California says, Miles McPherson, he says, well, who banged it? <laughs> That's enough for me, bro. Simple, concise, clear, to the point. I love it. Who banged it? And then also another area <laughs> where does culture try and compete with the inerrancy of scripture uh, by saying that there is no hell. And the scary thing about this is, is I feel like that this comes more so from the Christian culture than from the secular culture, because I feel like the secular culture doesn't care that, that there's a hell. They, they're just going for it. They're trying to enjoy life now, suffer later. But for us, I feel like that it just shows that a lot of us uh, don't want to live holy lives. Therefore, we erase the fact that there's a hell or that we just want to lighten our responsibility in light of sharing the gospel with others, so we don't want to erase the consequence. But this is where our culture tries to compete. And to go a little bit further, we have to be careful where we are obtaining info from. In a world where we can find everything through Google, through movie trailers, through YouTube, all of these things, that doesn't make it right. All because it's the loudest voice that doesn't make it right. Think about 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm talking about how people will come in and try and deceive. It says this, but false prophets also arose among the people. False prophets arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, the body of Christ, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teachers are everywhere. And the scary thing is that, uh, man, they, they smell like sheep, 
and they look like sheep, but yet they're wolves ready to claw and bite you away from what's true in the word. And why am I talking about this so much? Because I know teenagers and I know young adults who are being led astray by false ideologies. And I care about you. and I don't want you to be led astray by this nonsense. We have to stand firm in the word, stand firm in what's true, and stand firm in Jesus. We have to know this for ourselves. Guys, we have to know the word of God. 1 John 2 tells us that we have the anointing and the Holy Spirit to combat these lies of false teachers. We have all the knowledge that we need because of the Spirit to discern the lies. But we also have the Word of God. Again, let's read verse 16. I love it. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for a few things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So scripture is profitable for teaching because it equips us with knowledge on how to live godly lives during godless times. All scripture is profitable for reproof of disapproving of our wrongdoings. All scripture is profitable for correction. When we start going off the wrong way, we are corrected. Thank God for the driving ed instructors who have the extra steering wheel, which I learned in Indiana, you don't have the steering wheel on the, on the passenger side for the dri- driving ed instructor, but in Carolina we did. And so thank God for them. As we start to go a little far left, he can correct us. As we start to drive a little bit too far forward, he can pump the brake. I needed that on my first driving test because I ran a red light and failed. That's a story for another day. <laughs> But thank God that we have the word of God to correct us. And then for training in righteousness, for discipleship, that the man of God, verse 17, may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God develops us into the Christ-likeness that we need to not conform to the word. The second thing that I would love for you to take away from today is godly living during godless times means holding fast to the word. Godly living during godless times means holding fast to the word, remaining steadfast to the truth. Hold on to that. Know it and love it. Makes me think about uh, a documentary, uh, The Last Dance, came out 2020. Um, viewer discretion is advised. Go ahead and warn you for that right now. Uh, but, but it tells a story in the first couple of episodes about how Michael Jordan had to, had to uh, remain steadfast to what he saw as true. Uh, so, he w- so he felt the need to get to know his teammates a little bit, and he felt like a loner because he just wanted to focus on the game of basketball. Uh, but one day he decided to visit his hotel or his um, teammates in a hotel room, and he described it as cocaine, weed, and women. Um, and so he hit a crossroad and said, okay, I have to decide, am I going to try to be a good teammate and fit in, or am I going to hold fast to my love for the game and get out of here and just stand firm and just focus and be a loner and suffer now, but be a champion later. Now for us, we have something much more better to represent in Jesus. And we hold fast to the word so that we don't get pulled away by the things of the world. And so we remain steadfast in Jesus. And it's good that we know the word because as we continue, our next action will require us to put it to use. Go into chapter four now, verse one. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season 
and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we see this divine charge coming from Paul in the presence of divinity. He says, hey, preach the word. And if you've been in church for a long time, you know that word preach means caruso, uh, which means to herald, to proclaim, to speak aloud the word of God. Preach the word. And not necessarily from a pulpit, but in your own personal life. Because listen to me, they may not seem like it, but people are hungry for this. It's the only satisfying thing in this world. And people want this. And Paul says to be ready in season and out of season. So when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. So, so conveniently when you're around a fire with uh, your neighbor who just lost her husband and she tells you, um, hey, can you please share Jesus with me? In those convenient moments, we preach the word. Or when it's inconvenient, uh, when you're standing in front of coworkers and you know they're going to make fun of you for your faith, but they tell you uh, to share the gospel with them. In those inconvenient moments, we preach the word. At all times, be ready to share and speak the truth because the word reproves, it rebukes, and it exhorts with complete patience and teaching. We're called to do that. And verse two tells us to do that. And I love that word patience because as we preach the word to unbelievers, we share, but we be patient for result because that's not on you. That's on the Holy Spirit to do that in them. As we preach the word to believers who are growing, share, but be patient for sanctification. Verse three, chapter four, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Isn't this so true today? And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. People will not endure sound teaching healthy teaching in these last days. And this is our culture because people push these emotional, illogic ideologies with little thought put into it and we follow it like a sheep to the slaughterhouse. And during these times, people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears where they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Listen, people don't want true teachers of the scripture. They want people who will help them be comfortable now. People um, don't want uh, true pastors. They want people to accept their sin now. People want prosperity gospel preachers. And there's nothing more in the world that makes me sick than the prosperity gospel because Jesus doesn't promise you a Mercedes Benz. Like if, if anything, he promises you suffering and he's the Mercedes Benz that we get. But this is why verse 4 says that people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But we are called to be, verse 5, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, as that will fulfill our ministry. Because this is how we combat false teachers in godless times. We preach the word, baby. We preach the word. We herald the word Caruso. And, it, and it, it, man, it doesn't have to be hard, right? Connect with your neighbor. Invite them over for dinner. Have a meal with them. Sit someone around the table. It'll do wonders for you. Preach the word with them. The uncomfortable life of evangelism is worth it. 
because godly living during godless times requires us boldly preaching the word. Godly living during godless times means boldly preaching the word. Like to Timothy, uh, Eunice and Lois were his heroes. My mom is really my hero in the faith. Um, she was a believer my whole life. My dad came to put faith in Christ later, but man, my mom has been the example in my life for years. And, and so she had a rhythm of where she would go out every Saturday with a bunch of other short church ladies and this one short pastor, and his name was Pastor Shorter. How ironic. I mean, it was amazing. But man, but they would just go and they would dominate our community, bro. And man, like, and, and my mom told a story about even how the hood dudes feared them, how when they saw the church, the church van drive up, all of them out there selling drugs would just disperse, run like cockroaches. It was amazing. But man, but, but they boldly preached the word consistently. And I've never heard of this before, but they even saw a community, a neighborhood in our hometown, everyone put faith in Jesus, everyone, because of these short, not intimidating, church hat-wearing Southern women going to go share the gospel with these people. They just boldly preached the word, and a whole community full of people who did persecute them, um, who were intimidating, who were very scary, violence in that neighborhood, drugs being sold, um, kids, just so much nonsense, and the whole community came to put faith in Jesus because they boldly preached the word. So for us, how are we able to live out the things that we talked about today? How are we able to endure persecution? Despite all of the distractions, how are we able to know the word well? How are we able to preach the word I believe all of these things will be a byproduct if we just simply do this on the screen. Godly living during godless times means fixing, not just fixing, but constantly fixing our eyes on Jesus. I believe that these things will just simply be a byproduct if we just fix our eyes on Jesus because, guys, listen, we need it. There are so many brothers and sisters in Jesus who, again, are just being led astray by the passions and the desires to enjoy the world, but yet Christ tells us to enjoy him and we get the benefit of him now and for all of eternity. Fix our eyes on Jesus because it'll make everything worth it, especially what is to come. Let's worship as we read verse 21. It says, then I saw, or chapter 21 of Revelation, of Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, especially back pain in Jesus' name. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May we live godly lives to enjoy what Jesus has to offer now and in eternity. Father, God, you are so good, and we thank you, Lord. Father, just may you be with us as we endure what this world throws at us, as we just pursue living godly lives in these tough times. Jesus, may you just be glorified and honored in our conduct, in the way we speak, in the way we live. So, Father, we love you. Let us apply this to our hearts, to our lives here this week. May you be glorified.